Today's show is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls and load balancers, a new managed Kubernetes service, and much more. From predictable pricing to flexible configurations to world-class customer support, you'll get access to all the infrastructure services you need to grow your business. Plus, DigitalOcean's community provides over 2,000 tutorials to help you stay up to date on the latest open source software, languages, and frameworks. So to get started on DigitalOcean for free, with a free $50 credit, go to do.co slash cloudcast. That's do.co slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive remote studios. We're out here in San Francisco this week uh, doing a little bit of uh, figuring out what's going on with VMworld, a big event for the year. So um, out here doing some things, collecting information, seeing what's new in the VMworld space and the sort of enterprise cloud space. So with that, we're going to get to our cloud news of the week, and we'll keep it fairly VMware-centric, uh, VMworld-centric, if you will. Um, you know, a couple, lots of announcements from VMworld. Um, you know, VMware has become a fairly broad enterprise company. We're going to talk about that a little bit in the interview as we uh, go forward. But uh, a couple of announcements that may be worthwhile to those of you that follow the cloud or follow Kubernetes or some of the net new technologies. Um, obviously, VMware has been on a buying spree, um, so they did finalize the acquisition of Pivotal last week. Uh, they also closed an acquisition of a company called Carbon Black, so a couple of acquisitions in the $2 billion-ish range, uh, depending on how the finances work out, but uh, that, that was finally announced. A uh, couple of announcements that were somewhat interesting, uh, especially if you've been following not only cloud, but also sort of the transition from uh, on-premises to uh, to cloud and, and how that impacts uh, applications and so forth. So the first one was uh, VMware announced something called Project Pacific. Project Pacific is uh, essentially um, embedding Kubernetes into the control plane of vSphere and vCenter. So uh, VMware has tried a number of times over the last few years to figure out a Kubernetes solution. Uh, for a while, they, they downplayed containers, they downplayed Kubernetes, uh, you know, bad-mouthed it uh, themselves, Pivotal bad-mouthed it. Uh, but they finally bit the bullet. Um, you know, they had tried uh, VMware integrated containers that didn't really fly. They tried uh, Pivotal Kubernetes service, sort of a bolt-on uh, that didn't really gotten a lot of traction. And now they're going to uh, integrate fully uh, Kubernetes into the uh, the vCenter and vSphere space. So uh, Project Pacific is has no timeline yet at this point. Typically, when VMware announces something at VMworld um, as a project, it typically takes about a year or so before it becomes GA or close to GA. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll follow this project as it comes along, uh, try and collect some more information. We'll put some links in the show notes to, uh, to the details. Second big announcement um, that has more to do with kind of multi-cloud and multi-cloud management, hybrid cloud management, uh, again, Kubernetes, uh, is something that's called... Uh, Tanzu Mission Control. So Tanzu is the new sort of umbrella name for VMware's uh, management suite. Uh, they announced um, that uh, this week. Uh, Tanzu Mission Control is, in essence, the Heptio HQ product. So Heptio, um, prior to being acquired, was talking about what they called the Heptio HQ project uh, or product, uh, essentially a multi-cluster, multi-cloud manager for Kubernetes clusters. Um, this was announced today as, uh, again, Tanzu Mission Control. Again, um, you know, an early early stage project somewhere in beta or something like that. Um, details are still fairly slim throughout the week. Uh, but basically, this is a 
a management framework offered as a SaaS service that will manage uh, multiple Kubernetes clusters. So whether that is uh, on-prem clusters, um, clusters running in the public cloud, uh, there is expectation that they will be able to manage the native Kubernetes services within various clouds, so GKE, AKS, EKS. Um, so an interesting space, so definitely something that a lot of companies are, are asking about uh, as more and more of them adopt Kubernetes is how do we better manage them, uh, manage them as uh, multiple clusters, fleets of clusters, groups of clusters, policy, security, quotas, things like that. So this will be another interesting one to, to take a look at. Again, this was uh, something that never made it into a product as Heptio, uh, as Heptio was acquired by VMware, but uh, is now sort of coming to fruition as something they had been working on for quite a while. So with that, I'm going to kind of wrap it up for Cloud News of the Week. Uh, we will put some links to the VMworld announcements for those of you that maybe didn't get a chance to follow it or are interested. Uh, but with that, we're going to wrap up uh, Cloud News of the Week. Uh, we have a very interesting interview. We're doing what we call sort of our mid-year show. Um, and we have a great guest, uh, Brandon Wichard from the Software Defined Talk podcast is going to join us. Brandon is very, very in, uh, involved in what's going on across the cloud, has been covering this space for a long time. It was a fun conversation um, and kind of, you know, a different way of doing our mid-year show. Uh, Aaron and I typically do it. We wanted to break out of sort of our Cloudcast bubble a little bit. So I think you're going to enjoy that. And we look forward to talking to Brandon next. Today's sponsor is Datadog, the real-time monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and distributed request traces from your containers and orchestration software. Track the health and performance of your dynamic containers, apps, and services with rich visualizations and machine learning-driven alerts. Datadog's cluster agent streamlines data collection from large container clusters and allows you to auto-scale Kubernetes workloads based on any metric you've already collected with Datadog. To start monitoring your Kubernetes clusters, sign up for a free trial today, and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit datadoghq.com slash cloudcast to get started. And we're back. And, you know, it is uh, sort of later in April, but we always tend to do a show that is the mid-year show. And I think if, we, if we're really honest with ourselves and we look at the calendar, the tech calendar versus the, uh, you know, 12-month calendar, we really are kind of at the mid-year. We've gone through beginning of the year, nothing really happens. Mid-year, we have a bunch of trade shows and some announcements gets made. And then, you know, as you're listening, to this show basically kicks off the second half of the year. So we're going to have VMworld, and then we'll get into sort of the second round of all the cloud shows that come along and so forth, the open source show. So we thought we'd do our mid-year show. We're going to do it a little bit different this year. You know, sometimes we, we kind of, Aaron and I will get wrapped up in our own bubble and our own thoughts about stuff. And we said, you know, maybe we should have somebody else on the show. So very excited to have Brandon Wichard, who is one of three co-hosts of a show that I really, really enjoy. Uh, hopefully some of you listen to it, and if you don't, hopefully you start listening to it. But Brandon, uh, welcome to the show. Let's uh, tell us a little about yourself. Tell us about Software Defined Talk, and tell us about your co-host and kind of the uniqueness of the thing that you guys do over there. All right. Well, first of all, thanks for having us on the show. And, and just for anyone who caught it, I think it's it's August. It's not April. So Did I say <laughs> August? Wow. You said April. So don't worry, guys. You're in the right place. Still the mid-year of the show. Yeah. Uh, but as you mentioned, yes, I am one of the co-hosts of Software Defined Talk Podcast, a podcast that, you know, totally new to you. It's, we talk about cloud computing and a lot of nonsense. So uh, if you don't get enough uh talk about cloud in this one definitely as soon as we finish go uh, downline to software defined talk where three of us try to usually it's you know more topical around the news and then we try to work in a lot of nonsense uh what's happening so it's really fun we enjoy doing the podcast love for you guys to go check out the show yeah and you guys you guys have a couple of unique things about the show one is um so it's it's yourself it's uh it's matt ray who uh, is at Chef and uh, lives down in Australia now. I guess you guys all sort of met each other in Austin, Texas, but he lives down in Australia now. And then Michael Cote, who is in somewhere in Europe uh, all the time. So, <laughs> so you guys have now this sort of global view of things that, that's part of your show. 
We do. Just imagine it's like uh, three guys who lived in Austin, met in Austin, all worked together, but now we've dispersed around the world. So it really is at times that, you know, Americans discovered the rest of the world, which, you know, probably for the rest of the world is, is sort of a nonsense. But uh, yeah, Cote's in the Netherlands and, you know, he's always good for uh, some random thing he learned about Europe. Yeah. Yeah. And you got, you got it, it, the other unique thing is uh, you only go by your first name. Cote only goes by his last name, and Matt Ray only goes by his full name. So it's yeah, you know, it's a it's a unique dynamic going on there. <laughs> That's right. You know, I've never noticed that, but it's true. There's a lot. Of, I think you know what it is. It goes back to we all worked together, and there were a lot of Matts. So yeah. it always had to be a Matt Ray. Excellent, excellent. So, um, so I, I think I think you'd mentioned we were talking before. You've listened to the show, so you kind of know uh, the the format. Well, let's just start with kind of the, the broadest topic we can, um, you know, we're, we're halfway through the year, whether it's April or August. Um, what are some of the, the big trends that you've sort of been, you guys obviously are, are following this. What are some of the things that you've kind of been following, um, things that have been interesting to you, kind of surprising to you, um, just in terms of the first half of the tech year? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's a good question. You know, we can't do any type of cloud show without first talking about uh, Kubernetes, right? It's mandated by law. So right. I think, you know, probably the, you know, I think one of the biggest things is, you know, I, it just happened sort of recently, and I think it was sort of the last moment. Like so, pivotal, you know. One, one, they uh, they announced that they're going to move to containers, right? And then they're getting acquired. And then I thought Mesosphere, you know, changing its name, um, you know, to I, I still don't know what day two IQ or something, uh, and and them of course moving to uh, Kubernetes as well. So it's I think you know just sort of <clears throat> maybe it's been done for a while, but if you will, the container orchestration war is now like officially over, I guess it's, it's, it's been one, it's all going to be Kubernetes. And, you know, I think those are the last two major, you know, holdouts. So it, it's maybe not a surprise, but I still think it's a big development. It's like now everyone is settled in on Kubernetes and, and, you know, as we go forward, it sort of resets the stack a little bit and the competition will be, I see going forward, just like who makes deploying on top of Kubernetes, the simplest, right? That's like the new uh, competition layer. And, you know, and I think it's, it is interesting because there's so many, you know, different approaches just a few years ago. And now, you know, everyone's essentially, you know, agreed to, to that one platform. And I think the pivotal thing, you know, is even more fascinating. The fact that, you know, just, I was looking it up the other day, I think they were public for uh, like, a, like a year and a half, right? So it was like an incredible, you know, kind of like whirlwind of like they go public, the stock runs up, they have this whole, you know, this approach the public market is understanding. And then, you know, they announced they missed earnings, they're moving to containers, which isn't, that's not the like cause and effect, but I think they were already doing that. And then they're, now they're going to be acquired by VMware. So it, it sort of just, just shows you, I guess, how quickly things in this industry change. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. I, I think the other layer, uh, and you you guys have talked about this probably even more than I have on on the PodCTL podcast. It's like, is is there actually you know going forward is there actually any money in Kubernetes, right? So it's it's sort of become this de facto standard. But you know you start looking at and it's sort of interesting. There there seems to be money in Kubernetes if you're buying it on premises or you're selling it on premises. But in the public cloud, essentially the cloud providers have all said, yeah. Um, we're going to basically give it away for free because we make all our money in, in compute and storage and networking. And, and it'll be interesting to see if essentially that sort of freeness in the public cloud from a price perspective kind of whittles its way back towards the things that still live on premises and so forth. Uh, it's like big thing, lots of hype, lots of people go to the show. Is there actually any money in it? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think, you know, like the history, I think in some way a guide here, I think VMware was so successful as essentially establishing a platform, if you will, a layer on top of all the operating systems and went on to be, and still is, right, just an incredibly valuable company. And I think 
when Kubernetes came out or just this idea that orchestration of containers was going to be big, right? Remember Docker and Docker Swarm and Mesosphere, all these guys, right? And a lot of that VC money flowed into it. And I think collectively, you know, and you always wonder how much of it's planned versus how much of it just emerges. But clearly when Google launches Kubernetes and then AWS, a little bit slow on the takeup, but they get there quick. Microsoft gets there quick. You know, all the other cloud guys get there. And I think it's just, you know, they know that we can't allow this any one platform to become dominant. We can't allow anyone to get a specific advantage that we want to be competing with for years to come. So I think that's what went on there, right? So that, yeah, from the public cloud uh, standpoint, it is. That is, I think it's just table stakes and going forward, they all want to sell services on top of Kubernetes. And, and ultimately, I think the competition, as I was saying before, it just becomes, because all the startups and all the companies I talk to and you know, just like people that are in this are always talking about making it simpler. So I think you know, that going forward is like, who makes it the simplest yep. to get this uh, application going? And of course, you know, that's sort of, you know, I know your day job, right? You've got a big opinion on right. how to make that simple with OpenShift and other things like that. So, I mean, that's a good, I mean, I think in the end, it's a good outcome, um, but it will definitely be a couple years of confusion about, well, exactly how does this simpler? Or, and, I, and I, you know, everybody, I always kind of joke, it's like everyone is showing me like a tool that prevents me, that shows that it's, it's the value proposition is like, you don't have to edit the YAML. And it's like, right. okay, that's good. But then sometimes you're like, but you're kind of locking me in, right? So there's like all, every tool sort of comes with this, like, hmm, maybe I should edit the YAML. Oh, this is a pain oh, I don't like what you're not letting me do, right? So that's going to be the thing that people have to figure out going forward. Right. Well, and and, and basically we, we've come full circle. We went from uh, we want to make the stuff on top of the platform uh, really valuable. We want to make the platform, you know, essentially commoditized. Uh, you know, we went through the pivotal days. Pivotal had its had its run. Cloud Foundry had its run. It kind of it kind of lost. Kubernetes wins, and now we're talking about okay, Kubernetes is a commodity, and now we're going to go back through the sort of but don't call it PaaS days, but the building on top of Kubernetes, which is essentially to make things you know good for developers and call that a whatever. Right. So there's there's a new opportunity to name something that essentially you know the artist formerly known as PaaS. Absolutely. I could not agree more. And I think, you know, this is when you talk to the pivotal guys that are just like, I don't know, a little bit bitter. It's like, oh, we already sure. did this, you know, and like we did this, we already had the solved. And I, and I, I try to explain to him, it's like music. It's like, you know, any type of like popular culture. Like, I don't know we don't, it's not always clear why things get adopted and not necessarily, you know, what's the best. It just happens. And it's like, well, it's happened for Kubernetes and we're all going to have to get used to it going forward. Right, right. Uh, the flip the flip side of that, and I know you guys dig into this a little bit. We dig into it some because we'll get a few of the VCs come on. Um, you know, we, we've seen this kind of response to, uh, you know, Amazon in particular, uh, you know, starting to, to go, hey, we've, you know, we're, we're taking a popular open source project. Uh, we're turning it into a service. And that's gone on for a little while with Amazon. That's not totally new. Um, but now they're starting to do some stuff where, you know, they're creating their own distributions of certain projects and it's forcing a bunch of companies to create these sort of essentially pseudo proprietary open core types of things. What's your take on this? I mean, do you think we'll see VCs continue to fund um, these, these sort of starting companies for projects when they're not sure how they're going to compete against Amazon? Well, I mean, there's so much venture capital right now. I think we can be assured a lot of these startups, kind of some of them I was joking about, some of the people making YAML easier, they've definitely won some <laughs> VC. I uh, know. Now, whether it be successful going forward, I think what isn't, I, I think to me, it's pretty well understood at this point that like just using the success of an open source project as the rationale 
to then invest in it and build kind of the open core concept, right? That we'll sell uh, services and support and maybe some some other functionality around an open source project in a proprietary way. Like I think that day is, I mean, honestly, I think it's been gone for a long time, right? Yeah. But, you know, people are just now catching up to it. So I think going forward, it's, it's I, you know, I like to say this all the time, open source, right? It's, it's not a business strategy. It can help you increase your adoption. It can also help you get some community support, but ultimately you still have to fundamentally a- answer the question, why will someone pay me? What is the specific reason they're going to pay me? And, you know, to licensing models, I think it was real interesting this week. We saw two things that I think sort of just define like how confused everybody is. It's uh, on one hand, Microsoft kind of announced announced a whole new pricing or licensing scheme uh, for uh, Windows Server going forward. Essentially, they they don't want you to take your licenses you own and put them in the cloud, right? That's kind of the short version of it. And they right. want you to pay pay again. And it's like and everyone's really, really mad about that. And it's like, you know, this is what I always say. It's like never take stuff away. They're making a big change. But then in the same week, Microsoft has uh, acquired, right, the, uh, what, the JDK company, the company that was um, uh, essentially Clarity, supporting yeah. Yeah, there you go. They so they and so what is that? J Clarity is really in the whole open JDKA moment is really a response to Oracle, of course, imposing a license of the JD you know, of the JDK uh, on customers going forward. So it just kind of shows like everybody is, I think, just trying to figure this out. Like everyone needs to find a business model that makes money for them, and I think everyone is sort of trying to attack everyone else and at the same time, um, you know, defend their own area. So it's like. If you think about it, Oracle and, and Microsoft doing this, this, the same thing, right? They're basically putting licenses on very popular products in hopes that people will just, if you will, pay the tax. And then you have Amazon out there who's just, you know, just, a, just the, you know, whatever, the 900-pound gorilla. Just we're going to make everything free. We're going to just put it on here. We're going to make it simple. And they just want to capture as much, I think, market share as possible in the infrastructure as a service market. So, um, but I think a lot's to come, right? So I think at the end of the day, if you're starting a new company today, and you know you're going to do any type of infrastructure kind of service offering you better have a great answer to why someone's going to come to you and you're not going to just be commoditized to the cloud or as i like to say just don't take a hundred million in venture capital maybe take two or three million dollars in venture capital and you can still sell that company to amazon google microsoft or many of the other cloud vendors out there that's right that's right yeah you never want too much so you guys you guys have a concept in your show you've been you've been kicking around because you want to get in the uh in the faux conference business i think you guys are calling it legacy con is that right yeah so if you're you're Uh into virtualization you're into old java maybe like uh, windows 95 support and so forth i'm i'm worried a little bit about your conference because VMware would have been probably one of the platinum sponsors for this. Oh, if, if you'd have absolutely. gone back a year, VMware has acquired like like seven, eight, nine companies in the last year. They're they're trying to to get they're trying to lose their sponsorship for this. What's going? Are they trying to become like the Amazon of on-prem enterprise? Is that their their model? Well, I you know I spent uh, for good or for bad. I spent some time at Sun Microsystems a long time ago now, and you know when your core uh, money maker is under attack, right? You have to do something, right? So if you remember, Sun bought MySQL at the time. It was just like unthinkable. It's like for a billion dollars, right? right? And I think and it was like, hey, we're gonna end Sun. If, uh, if I don't know, for those of you old enough to remember, like Jonathan Schwartz was CEO. He was like, everything's going open source. Like I was there, and I was on like just a traditional product, and everyone was like, what? Like I mean, it was just sort of like, wait a minute, this is crazy. And I think what you're seeing at VMware is they have this incredible cash cow with all the traditional VMware products but they clearly and then of course they've done deals now 
you know, sort of like these, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? But they've done deals with AWS, Microsoft, and I guess that Google was the last one that finally got announced. So they all know, all the cloud vendors know, all the workloads or a lot of the workloads are in VMware. So they all want those workloads to move to the cloud. So VMware knows that their customers also want to move that there. So in the short term, they, it makes sense for them all to do deals and they can all make money in the, in the near term. But going forward, you got to think at VMware, at the strategy group, there must be like a million different PowerPoint decks going, right? Where they've got Heptio, Pivotal, uh, they've got Bitnami. Uh, in there as well, or I guess I guess the pivotal acquisition is still a rumor, but it seems like since they all own each other, right? That will right. essentially yeah, get, get bought up, and uh, and so I guess you know to me like something. I assume they're going to like, I don't know if it's like an open stack competitor. I'm sorry, not open. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't even know what it is. Something is going to come out of it. Um, as a new competitor, like a new platform as a service kind of offering. That's what I see, and that will be their attempt to, if you will, make make all Kubernetes all simple and for them to maybe make a real run at, I, I would assume, hybrid cloud. Um, now, I don't know. It feels like they've done this already, right? <laughs> I think everyone will be like, wait a minute, did this already happen? But I don't know what else. I think if you're running VMware, like what else can you do? You either do that or you run the company. If you're Dell EMC, you just run the company and take as much cash out of it, and you know, start reinvesting in other areas. Yeah, I, I, well, I, mean, I think they've got. I think they've got two things going on. Um, and and it's, and it's funny because like the last time they went on this big buying spree was right towards the end of uh, Paul Moritz's tenure. Like he basically was trying to you know rebuild Microsoft. He bought like a Word application and like a desk. He bought like an email company. And yes, it was just, I remember that. These yes. seem, these seem a little less crazy than that, but. Uh, like you got to figure they have sort of two strategies, right? So, well, maybe three, like, so one is they have their, their huge cash cow on-prem. They don't want that to go away. Then they've got customers who are like, Hey, we don't want to be in the data center business anymore. We might go to the cloud. They're like, Hey, no problem. Just, you know, move your Island into this other Island that's on Amazon. That's going to check that box or it's on Azure. And so they're like, all right, I get to keep that cash cow. And now they're just trying to find like stuff, things they can put into that ELA. So they're like, like, you almost wonder if they're kind of jealous of the Microsoft people that are trying to move license things around. They're like, I don't get to impose things on customers enough about where they can run their, I want to be able to do that. You know, like there's, there's going to be entire podcasts about where you can run your VMware licenses and where you can't and consultants, consultants that look at that stuff. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to have a big portfolio of stuff. I don't, I don't even know what they are anymore. They're just a big enterprise software company, I guess. Well, at some point it does, right. You know, at some point a company gets so big that it's really the sales channel is what the, what's valuable, right? You just have relationships with everybody like VMware I'm sure does. And so you can call on everyone and there's, I don't know, sometimes it works. If you get the right acquisition, um, that people want, you can plug it in and like flush it through the channel and make a ton of money. But sometimes it's very easy to buy a bunch of stuff and just confuse everyone yeah. and then make less money. And then you're at the QBRs and people are just like, everyone is mad. Like yeah. everyone is upset and mad. So I, I think though VMware, it does, I guess, you know, two things that strike me about it is one, it will probably be around like all these platforms much longer than we think. Like to some degree, everyone, you know, probably listening to this podcast is like, oh, everything's going to be in a container and we've all moved on and it's all over, you know, but in kind of my day job, I spend a lot of time talking to like very large traditional enterprises and like the number of VMs they have, I mean, thousands, right. And then will say like, I want to move, you know, three or 4,000 VMs and has like X number of applications to the cloud. And so VMware's it's not going anywhere. I mean, right. it's going to be around and pay off at like some annuity for a long time, you know, the, and 
you know, and sometimes like I, I think of it's like bullets in a gun, just like if you have a lot of revenue and you can stick it out, things can eventually turn back your way. But uh, I do, <laughs> I do worry about, and just VMware's naming in general. I I worry about the VMware Heptio pivotal thing that is created and what it's called and like how confusing it is. Like I still never. I'm always like GSX, ESX. Like I don't know. It's like I just hope they they make it real simple. Whatever they build, keep the name very simple. So That's what, my advice. So what you're saying is somewhere there's a PowerPoint slide or a whiteboard that has like, you know, like a D2IQ somewhere on a thing going. All right, we're not we're not going to rename ourselves that. But we need something other than VMware because we're not that anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's probably coming. That is probably true. But yeah, don't use the D two IQ. But I was, I used to say, you know, I've said many times, like I love the uh, what I, is the data center what was a DCOS data center operating systems for. Yeah. And this is the old Mesos- Mesosphere uh, marketing. I I think when that came out, I was like, I love this. This right. is what we're all trying to get to. I love this vision. Uh, I don't so I don't know if that is all completely retired with Mesosphere branding, but I, I always. Although maybe it never got there, maybe, I was maybe I was VMware can buy it. They can, maybe VMware can buy the trademark. It would kind of be a perfect somebody, fit for them. Somebody is. I just think I feel so bad. Like if you were the company, you were the, like the IT uh, director, the CIO, and you're like, you're like, I'm all in on Mesosphere. Like a couple of years ago, you're like, I am all in, and then uh, <laughs> and they come out. I know they're going to still support it, but it's just that's got to be a bad feeling. I mean, it's only been two years, and now you got to already move away from it. That's yeah. that's a tough decision for someone. So, uh, so let's, let's talk about the other side of the spectrum. We talked about VMware, um, you know, AWS, uh, <clears throat> year after year, they win the, the Gartner magic quadrant for, uh, you know, for sort of largest cloud and so forth. Uh, they're the 800 pound gorilla. Do you see any, any cracks in their, in their armor? Do you see, I mean, they, their, their revenue numbers, um, continue to grow, but they sort of growth wise, they've, they've sort of slowed down a little bit. Um, you know, law of big numbers. Do you see any any cracks in their armor? Are they doing anything? I mean, at some point, like every company, every tech company stops being like the geniuses of new technology and they have to start doing some things that we've all seen before. Like they change their pricing. They start to hide some stuff. I mean, are you seeing anything from AWS that makes you think that their their reign is slowing down at all? Honestly, at this point, I don't think so. I mean, I think they continue to dominate. They continue to release lots of new functionality. I, you know, Typically, what happens, though, is eventually the platform becomes so big and maintaining it is so expensive that this is where a company starts to open up you know, some different uh, fronts, if you will, to compete against it. And, uh, but right now, I just think the growth of AWS and the amount of people that they hire. I was just at lunch the other day with uh, one of the AWS reps and he just like, he brought like a new person. He's like, yeah, this guy just started today. And we were talking about stuff. I just, I just amazed like every day I just see more and more people joining. So I think they're still on that like massive growth curve, massive investment curve. So I don't, and the platform is still, you know, if you will new, but it's obviously been around for a while, but they've really done a good job maintaining it. I think, you know, don't, what will make AWS vulnerable, right? Is like we always talk about in product strategy is like, you know, the strength has to become the weakness. It's sort of like, what's the technology that we're going to look at that sort of makes us look at like, man, all these AWS data centers, that's really a hindrance, right? What is going to happen where people are like, hmm, that, that big investment they made, well, we have a way that we don't really need to use that, right? Or we have some other strategy. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we've talked a little bit about Kubernetes, but, you know, this kind of, you know, whatever we call it, serverless or functions as a service or, you know, kind of this next wave, um, you know, does somebody come at, you know, uh, a new approach that really catches probably everybody off guard, right? Because that would be the other thing. But even in that position, right, you think AWS would be 
uh, the fast follower. And, you know, probably the business that's the strongest, I know, because I think Gardner stopped doing it, right? But, you know, the infrastructure as a service, like I was saying before, like, I mean, it's pretty boring, but like, there's just still so many people just like putting their virtual machines in AWS. It's like, that sort of does look like a coin operated slot machine at this point. So I think they're, you know, in a strong position. Yeah. I think it is very hard to compete with them. Um, but, you know, something always happens. And if I knew what it was, I would go do it. Right. <laughs> right. Well, there, there's, there's two things. There's two interesting things about it. One, one is, like you said, I mean, they, they still they still make the bulk of their money from from compute and storage and networking and, you know, probably IAM. And I guess that's, that's the world's greatest lock in. Um, and, and you, you, know, you know, if you think about that, you're like those things, number one, they're not going away. They, they have a massive footprint of that. So you can, you know, relatively keep costs down. And if they really want to you know, they can keep releasing these sort of minimum viable versions of some application that's out there, whether it's a Kubernetes or it's a, you know, machine learning or something. And and if they really want to, they can just go, well, it's, it's free. And, and all you do is pay for the compute. And so for competitors to come along in, in like the application side or things up in the stack, it does become very hard to, com- you know, because people are like, well, maybe I'll run it in AWS. Do I use the native service? That that's a huge competitive advantage for them, right? They, they're sort of dictating prices of, of what things look like. Um, the, the other thing I think that's, that's hard, and this is like you're, you're thinking about, well, what will take it over? You know, in the, in the past, the companies that have struggled, you know, something like their technology became somewhat kind of irrelevant, right? So like Microsoft was the desktop operating system and then mobile became a big deal. So Apple became a big deal or like Oracle was the, you know, was the relational database and then like, uh, you know, non-relational databases became a thing. I mean, like Amazon has every technology. It's not like they're missing something, um, you know, today. So I think that's the that's the other hard part about competing against the, or Amazon or anybody is you can't you can't sort of flank them because they have all the flanks at least moderately covered or minimally covered. Yeah, no, I agree. I do think, you know, you see a little bit, um, I'm, I'm sure you run into it a lot. Like a lot of times people say the developer experience, right? They'll, I hear Google yeah. a lot, right? That like, you know, really, because if you think about that as for a moment, because we talked about like, you know, what makes things successful, like popular music fads in general, but there is this movement, right? And I, as I was watching Google, you know, closely, like all of us, it's like, if you make the developer experience and the, the tools so significantly better, right, that um, that becomes a true differentiator. And it isn't something that, you know, to your point about minimal viable po- uh, product, right? It's like where AWS sort of kind of goes this this path of like, we'll eventually get there, but it sort of frustrates developers along the way versus like having this out of, you know, out of the box experience that just works great. Um, I think that's a place where maybe there's a little bit of weakness, right? So it'll be interesting because I know, again, they continue to invest in every single one of those areas, but um, but it is. I mean, it's hard to like sit here today and say, you know, next year, next couple years, right? It, right. it really feels like AWS, you know, kind of has a has a significant lead that's going to be tough to overtake. Yeah, yeah. They they definitely have. They definitely do not have a whole lot of headwinds at this point. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, so, you know, lots of articles written. Uh, you know, especially earlier this year, I think it was just because there was a bunch of IPOs. You know, Lyft and Uber and um, some of the gig economy companies that were. Hey, they are they are contracted to spend thirty million, forty million, three hundred million, um, you know, with with AWS or with Google or with somebody. And now we're starting to see those companies struggle a little bit, um, you know, in the in the real financial markets. You know, we're going to see WeWork go out there, and they've got all sorts of bad numbers. And do you think, you know, because because for a while people get influenced by those companies, 
you know, spending in the public cloud. Do you think as those folks, if they struggle and if they struggle to make those payments, you think that will have any impact on how fast people are using the public cloud or they'll just be like, that's not like our business. We're a bank. We're an insurance company. Those idiots in the valley, if they screw up, that doesn't impact me at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of have two parts to this. I think the specific kind of unicorns going public and you know whether or not they make their payments, I don't necessarily think that's going to have a huge impact on any of the cloud providers or you know the adoption of cloud in general. What I do think is happening, and I see, you know, more evidence of is people. <laughs> I was on the phone with a customer today. They have moved. They had moved everything to a cloud provider, and then they got the bill, and they were just freaking out. Right, like they just had no idea. Um, you know, not good uh, discipline and understanding what they were going to pay for. So they're actually talking about moving some stuff back, right? It oh, got did, so you expensive. You didn't, you didn't tell him to just call Corey Quinn and he would fix it? I was, I probably, you know, that's not a bad idea. I probably should have suggested that because there was, we, well, we did collectively talk about like, well, we could talk to the provider and let's see if we can <laughs> right size your stuff. But I do, you know, we sometimes we joke, um, you know, cloud sticker shock, right? Especially when people are, you know, maybe larger traditional companies, you know, they've sort of just gotten bought off on the hype, but they have not really, you know, worked out the spreadsheet is that like, you can have this sticker shock and, you know, this idea that like everything's going to be cheaper and and we're going to pay on demand. It's like, it can quickly cascade uh, out of control. So I think that's probably, you know, if there is like the trough of disillusionment, like if we, you know, everyone wants to move to the cloud, now we're all there and we think we're paying too much. So I think there is going to be this, this moment of, right. And this is kind of back to like, you know, hybrid cloud. We talk a lot about that. Does it really exist? And, you know, everyone has a different opinion about it, but clearly um, people are going to work out exactly what they're willing to pay for. And in some cases, right, I think, you know, maintaining, especially if you just, you know, I always tell customers this, like if you just want to, if the only reason you're going to, the cloud is to save money, it probably will disappoint you, right? Like you need to be bought off on the being more agile, being able to do things faster, being more innovative. Um, so that's probably, as we think about, you know, forget about these IPOs, maybe we, as we look ahead, not, not an economist by any means, but people are talking recession, right? I think maybe that's what we see things slow down, that hey, if there's a recession, budgets are under pressure, there isn't as much money to do digital transformation projects, and it's like, hey, let's call up our our traditional uh, vendors and let's just negotiate a better deal for our on-premise hardware and software for a little bit and see if we can contain costs. I do think that'll happen in the next year or so. Yeah, I think that's that's possible. Or you're going to see a whole rash of new startups that do nothing but look and see if you're your uh, Amazon VMs are, are still running at 12 o'clock at night and they turn them off for you or something like that. I have to say, it is the funniest thing when you're at these conferences or you're like listening to all this stuff. They're always talking about AI, right? Like how much machine learning stuff can we talk about? I mean, it's like an endless amount of stuff. And it's like, well, how about just figuring this out on the pricing, right? You know what I mean? Why don't you look at all this data and just optimize it for me and tell and charge me the absolute minimum amount, right? But it's always like, no, look at the pictures or we have this uh, race car. You know what I mean? It's like, why, like, why not just fix the pricing? You have all the data, you know. So, uh, yeah. or I guess call Corey. You can also just call Corey. That's He'll, right. He'll figure it all out for you too. All right. So I'm gonna wrap it up with one last question. I think we've hit on, I think we've hit on every buzzword. We've talked about uh, VCs. We've talked about gig economy. We've talked about Amazon. Um, let's talk, I want to talk real quick about digital transformation. Um, and it, it's interesting, you made a comment, we had some some show notes, and you were like, you know, the only people who actually say digital transformation are the vendors, because companies are just doing this stuff. Like, they're they're smart enough to realize their business has to change. And like, have you seen any good examples where you're just like, yeah, that's, like, the one thing that jumps out to me is I feel like we're seeing more 
more partnerships where there is sort of like a technology aspect and like the company, whereas before the partnerships were always just like, uh, we're doing a financial deal, we're merging because we have two good sales forces. And more and more of these announcements we see are like, uh, you know, company out of Pittsburgh you've never heard of that does autonomous driving with UPS and also, you know, a drone company. And you're like, okay, that that's somebody thinking outside the box. Are you are you seeing that as well? And like, is digital transformation just a tech vendor buzzword? Like the companies don't care? Well, I think it is, but I also think, you know, no normal people like walk around like, how's your digital transformation going? And like we, <laughs> we as like uh, consumers or like everyday users of things, like I've never called you up like, hey, you're not going to believe this digital transformation thing I just happened. You got to check it out. So what I say is, you know, like, uh, like here in Austin, and maybe some of this will be regional, but, you know, just like fast food, you know, my son's like eight. And so we, unfortunately, we eat, sometimes we go to these fast food places. But I just noticed, like, you know, Sonic is like kind of this drive in restaurant here in the US, right? And you can just pull up and it's kind of like the old school, um, you know, drive in where you can like basically park your car and order. But now they have this app, right? You can order ahead. They even give you a discount on it. You know, Chick fil A, you know, love the chicken sandwiches, right? They have a great app. You can go in, get all these points uh you know even when you're getting your hair cut right i was like it's i know super cuts or birds here in austin like they have an app where you just basically get in check in ahead you can see exactly what the wait time is yeah. almost you know i'd say half the restaurants i go to chewy's here in austin like yeah, Mexican food being, anymore yeah it's, it's like maybe that or when you get in they just they just say like hey what you like they're just like hey uh what's your they don't ask necessarily your name they're like what's your phone number if you want to get on the wait list and then sure enough the phone number has a link usually to an app it tells you exactly where you are and if your son's asking you just show them right and it's like and then even the government you know here in austin right they uh you know they have austin energy not only will like uh you know tell you how your energy usage is going but you can actually you know register if you have a nest for like it'll give you 85 dollars for the permission if you will to just like crank up your um air conditioning or crank it down during you know peak period so i just kind of say it's like sometimes we get caught up in all these like you know like what's happening and kubernetes and all that stuff and it's like when you look around every day if you start to take note like you'll see how many of these things are are they can be small, but it's just sometimes like I think like waiting in line for anything. If I can check in ahead of time and you know be there just before my haircut or get my food just a little bit faster, I mean all these things really add up. So I think a lot of stuff, unfortunately, we just call it digital transformation. But I usually just call it like, hey, I had this great user experience, and it usually results in like it really saved me a bunch of time and energy, right? And and that's really what's happening. And so I think sometimes we get caught up in like, is it really happening? Yeah, it's definitely happening. It's happening all the time. You're using it it's just uh, no one calls it digital transformation and unfortunately we in the tech world i guess we're not creative enough to come up with something more <laughs> more interesting to call it so uh, i just call it fun apps right yeah. that's really what's happening yeah good stuff brandon i'm going to wrap it up with that uh you know real quick uh plug for where folks can find uh, software defined talk or software defined interviews or all the places that uh, you and uh, you and cote and matt ray are, are, are sharing the good news yeah, we'll make it easy. Just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. Uh, we've got it all. Go there. You can subscribe to the podcast. We've got all the we've got all the intranets. There's some Twitter. There's some Facebook. There's some LinkedIn, and you can find all of our Twitter handles there at, as well. So check it out. Go go download it. If you're listening to this one, there's a good chance you'll like Software Defined Talk. Yep, one of my favorites. I've been wanting for a long time. Highly recommend it. I would give you five stars if if we could. Uh, I will. <laughs> So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, great to finally have you on the show, folks. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for rating the show. And with that, we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 